This morning I am in the second week of my sermon series through the New Testament book of First Thessalonians, which was a letter written by one of the early church leaders named Paul, and he wrote this to a church in Thessalonica that he had started around the year 49 A.D., and he writes this letter a few years later to encourage them and to talk about some of the questions that they have um, after he had sent Timothy, one of his protégés, to the church. He comes back with some questions. And so I want to look at um, First, Thess- First Thessalonians chapter 1 and some of chapter 2 this morning. Last week we looked at chapter 1 focusing mainly on the message that he brought, the gospel message that he brought. And to quickly sum up, again, you can go back and read or listen or uh, watch last week's sermon. But we talked about how God is the initiator of our faith last week. We talked about how he's the one who draws us and calls us, that we would not love if he had not loved us first. We would not believe unless he had revealed himself to us first. He initiates our faith. He gives us spiritual life. He gives us the power for our ongoing spiritual development. Our role is to respond by repenting and trusting, repenting, turning from the idols, the things of this world that we trust in, to faith in Jesus, to trusting him and following him. So again, you want to understand more, you can go back and listen to last week's sermon. This week I want to look a bit more at the relationship this morning between Paul and the Thessalonians. And so we're going to look at chapter 1 and some of chapter 2 this morning. And as we read, I want you to focus on what are some of, some of the language that's used to illustrate the affection and the relationship that Paul has for this church. And so I'm going to read beginning in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you, remembering you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you, Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Now from chapter 2, verses 6 through 12. We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone While we preach the gospel of God to you, you are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. This is God's word. 
Let me pray before we continue. Thank you, Lord, for revealing yourself through these words, and we pray that you would apply these words to our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Whatever it is that we need to hear, however we need to be changed, we pray that you would have your way in us today. We thank you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, last week was more focused on the message that he brought. This week is more about the relationships that he had. And I see in this passage a beautiful vision of what the church community is meant to be when it comes to our relationships. And there's two features in particular that I want to emphasize this morning about God's vision for the church when it comes to our relationships. The first I see is this. Be genuinely concerned about the welfare of others. Again, talking about God's vision for what the church would be when it comes to our relationships. And the first is this, I think, that his desire is that the church would be a place where we are genuinely concerned about the welfare of each other. Again, look back at the language and how he says, we always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember you before our God and Father. And he goes on, and you look at verse 6 to 12 of chapter 2, and he talks about how we were gentle like a mother caring for children. That we love you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our very lives as well, because you'd become so dear to us. And then not only does he compare himself to a mother, but he says also, we dealt with you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, urging you to live lives worthy of God. So again, you've gathered here together. We call this place the church. Why are we here? What is this all about? Yes, last week we talked about the gospel, that first and foremost it's about the message of God's gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ died for us to reconcile us to God, to make us right with him, that all who trust in him will have eternal life, will be right with God. But it's about more than just the message. It is about the people. It is about the community. And part of God's vision for this church, for the community, is that it would be a place where we are concerned, genuinely concerned for the welfare of each other. Pastor, elders, leaders, mentors, and every single member that we would be concerned, genuinely concerned for the welfare of each other. You know, one of the horrible ironies, I would say, of the past 20 years in this age of social media is that on the one hand, it is possible to be connected with just about any person in the world, right? In, in, In the span of a second or a minute, you can connect with just about any single person in the world. That since they invented these things like Facebook and Instagram, all of a sudden, like all the people you knew from high school or growing up are right there on your screen. The click of a button, you can message them. And yet, on the other hand, according to no less than the Surgeon General of the United States, that we are in an epidemic of loneliness in this country. How is that possible? How is it possible that at the same time you could have a thousand friends on Facebook and still have no one that you feel really knows you. Not one person, maybe, that you feel cares enough about you to be there for you, who would listen to you and love you and be there for you in the hour of your greatest need. How is it possible that you could have 200 people like a picture of you, but no one who likes you enough to show up at your house when you just need someone to cry with, to talk to? It's incredible, isn't it? When you step back and just look How is it possible that we have created this world where you can be connected to anybody and everybody and at the same time 
that we are lonelier as a society than ever before and more disconnected than ever before. We've seen this in Fight Club. It's one of the groups of this church. It's a men's group that meets on Wednesday nights over there. It's a men's support group that we started about 12 years ago. It meets every Wednesday night. And I have seen men who come to this this group who have no one, who feel like they have no one to talk to, no one to share with, no one to just unburden themselves to. And they come and they just need to pour out their hearts to someone who cares, who will listen, who will be there for them. And it's sad just how many lonely people there are out there. And again, look at 1 Thessalonians 2.8, how beautiful this line is, where Paul says, we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Yes, I get up here and I talk for half an hour or so every Sunday. And I share a lot of things with you, and we talk about the message because it is important that everyone knows the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. But even Paul says it's not just about that. It's not just about words and the message. It is about sharing our lives. It is about having a genuine concern for the welfare of others. And the church has such an opportunity in this cultural moment Right? I mean, you could look out and you could point your fingers at all the things that you think are wrong with the world. But if you stop and you just think about what an opportunity we have been given, that this is meant to be a place where God brings together people who have a genuine concern for each other, who are delighted to share not only a message, but their very lives as well with each other. To love, to care, to listen, to support, to share. What an opportunity we have to live in this culture where people feel so lonely and disconnected and we provide a community where members are genuinely concerned about each other. Jesus said this, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Notice how Love, according to Jesus, is not just, you know, clicking a button and you love something or you like something. It's not just about affection for someone. But he says love is sacrificial. Love is laying down your life. It's being willing to bear another's burdens, to disadvantage yourself in order to elevate someone else, to be willing to suffer for the good of another person. He says that's what love is, laying down your life for a friend. And Jesus here is saying to you, I've laid down my life for you. I am looking out for you. You do not need to be self-centered. You don't need to be so wrapped up and concerned about the things of your life. You can be other-centered. You can lay down your life for others. You can take up the burdens of your brother and your sister because I'm taking up your burdens. I'm carrying your burdens. I'm caring for you. Part of the beauty of what God has created here and the vision he's created of this church is that it would be a place where we are genuinely concerned for the welfare of others. Paul put it this way in Philippians 2. He said, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. 
Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So how does Paul try to encourage the Philippian church to not look out for their own interests, but look to the interests of others? He says, look to Jesus. Look to the example of Jesus. He was God, and he was willing to lay down all the divine privileges to come down and take the form of a servant to lay down his life in service to you, to elevate you. And so he says, go and do likewise. Don't be so concerned about your high status and your self-interest, but be willing, he says, to consider others better than yourselves, to suffer for the good of others, to sacrifice yourself for others, to be genuinely concerned about the welfare of others. I'm not talking primarily about a program here, right? We're not instituting some sort of program. We're talking about an attitude of the heart, an orientation towards God first and foremost and towards the good of others, that we respond to Jesus' self-giving love by giving ourselves for the good of others. In fact, Jesus goes more than just saying, follow my example. This is what he says in Matthew 25, 31 to 46. He said, when the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. And you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. And then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And they will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. So again, we're talking about God's vision for his church when it comes to our relationships with one another. And first and foremost, I said that his desire is that this would be a community where we are genuinely concerned about the welfare of each other. And part of the reason we do that is because Jesus gave his life for us and set us an example that we might go and do likewise as he cares for our needs that we will go and care for the needs of others. But here, Jesus takes it to a whole other level, doesn't he? And he says, it's not just about follow my example. It's however you treat each other is how you treat me. 
that that newcomer in your midst who walked in this morning, if you welcome them, you are welcoming me. And if you do not welcome them, then you're not welcoming me. That person in your midst who is struggling to put food on the table and is hungry and thirsty, if you help them out and make sure they've got food, you're doing it for me. And if you ignore them, you're ignoring me. And when there's someone who's sick or imprisoned or in need, if you're genuinely concerned about their welfare and you meet their needs, you are meeting my needs. You are blessing me. You are loving me, he says. And if you ignore them, you're ignoring me. It's more than just following Jesus' example. He says, I want you to be genuinely concerned about the welfare of others because that is how you show love to me because I identify with the least of these brothers and sisters of yours. That's who I identify with. And however you treat them is how you treat me. And so I can add to that, give, me, give you some other examples. Welcome someone who is new. Sit with someone who's alone. Or invite someone to sit with you on a Sunday. Show up early and greet people. Welcome people. Pray for people. Invite someone to lunch with you. Offer to pray for someone who may need prayer. Pay attention to someone who's not here this morning. Reach out to them. Let them know that they're missed. Make sure that they're okay. Ask people about themselves to share their story with you. Give to someone who's in need. Care for the families and children among you by serving in children's church or nursery. Visit someone who can't get out anymore. Call someone who might be in need or someone you may not have seen in a while. Invite someone over. Share a meal with someone. Whatever you do to the least of these brothers or sisters, he says, you did to me. John 13, 34 to 35, a new command I give you, said Jesus, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We have such an opportunity in this cultural moment. There is an epidemic of loneliness out there. There is a disintegration of community where there used to be close bonds and families and neighbors and friends and civic organizations. Now, so many people are going it alone and thinking that social media connects them when in reality it's just increasing people's loneliness. We have such an opportunity as a church to be this, what Jesus said. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If you are a community where people are genuinely concerned about the welfare of others that every individual who walks in the door feels loved and everyone who is not here feels loved because they know they were missed. We don't do this perfectly as a church. There are plenty of people who don't feel like we're genuinely concerned about their welfare. This is God's vision for what our church would be. And by God's grace and by the power of his spirit, we will move in that direction to be known as a church that loves the way Jesus loves. 
So the second, there's two things from this passage in particular that I wanted to talk about when it comes to God's vision for his church. And the first was this, that we would be genuinely concerned about the welfare of others. And then secondly, I see Paul talking about that we would live a life worthy of imitation and follow others worthy of imitation. We would live lives worthy of imitation and follow others worthy of imitation. Going back to 1 Thessalonians 1, 6 through 8, he says, You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. When you read that closely, you see first and foremost, he's saying, you became imitators of us. This is Paul, Silas, and Timothy. You became imitators of us. But then he says, only a verse later, that then you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. And the Lord's message rang out from you. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. You became imitators of us. And then over time, others became imitators of you. And I see here that part of God's design for the church, first and foremost, that we would be a church that has a genuine concern for each other's welfare, but secondly, that there would be what the Bible calls discipleship happening. That we would become imitators of those worthy of imitation. And that people would look to us and imitate us as we follow Christ. That that's God's vision for the church. Remember, that was part of Jesus' parting message in Matthew 28, the end of This gospel, he says to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So from the very beginning, Jesus said, this is what my church, my community is to be about, is discipleship, where you're teaching others to obey everything I've commanded you. Helping others follow me. Setting an example of what it looks like to follow Jesus. And I know most of us don't feel worthy of imitation, right? You look at yourself and you're like, I don't know that I feel worthy of imitation, that I want people modeling their lives after me. But this, again, is the vision. This is the vision. This is the call to live a life worthy of imitation, to look for others who are following Jesus that you can Model your life, bottle or imitate. This is God's vision for his church. Paul said this to Timothy, who was one of his protégés who imitated Paul. He said, In things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. If you look at that closely, there's four generations there. He says, there's Paul, and he's talking to Timothy, and Timothy says, The things you've heard from me, I want you to entrust to reliable men who will be qualified to teach others. So the things you've heard from me, you teach to someone who can then teach someone else. Four generations there. That, he says, is what my church is meant to be about, is discipleship, modeling for others, giving others a model to imitate, teaching others so that they might be models to others, they might disciple others. Because, yes, we are about the message. We are about the gospel but we're also about relationship. We're also about showing others what it looks like to follow Jesus. D.L. Moody put it this way, out of 100 men, one will read the Bible and 99 will read the Christian. So what are they reading? 
when they look at your life? What is the message that they're getting when they look at your life? Live a life worthy of imitation and look for others that you can imitate. And again, we have such an opportunity in this cultural moment when it comes to this. First and foremost, there's this epidemic of loneliness, and we have a community where we're genuinely concerned for the welfare of others. But secondly, there is also a significant increase in deaths of despair over the last 10 years. Maybe you've heard that phrase that over the last like five, 10 years, that the number of drug overdoses, suicides, people dying from liver disease has just been skyrocketing because there's just an increase in a lack of purpose and meaning that people see in life. That people look around and just don't know what this is all for. What is worth living for? And so many people end up either dying by suicide or drinking or drugging themselves to death because of a lack of meaning and purpose. And here we are with this message that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That God has created each of us for a purpose. That was last week's message, right? That God is the initiator. God has created us each with a purpose. That hopefully if you are here today, you know that God has created you, that your life is not an accident, that there is purpose and meaning to everything that you do. Not only for this life, but beyond the grave. There's eternal significance to your life and everything that you do. And we live in a culture where so many people have lost hope and lost meaning and can't understand what the purpose is to life. And we have such an opportunity again as the church to provide a community where people genuinely care about each other's welfare and to provide models worthy of imitation that know that life has purpose and life has meaning and know that there is a God worthy, to, to, worthy of following. So again, this is God's vision for our church community when it comes to our relationships, that we would be genuinely concerned about the welfare of others, that we would live lives worthy of imitation and follow others worthy of imitation. You might think of it this way. Do you have a Paul in your life? Someone that you can look up to and imitate and ask questions to and seek out? Do you have a Timothy in your life? Someone who looks up to you, who you're bringing alongside you to help in their walk with Jesus? Do you have a Barnabas, someone who walks beside you, encouraging you, someone who's concerned for your welfare? That is God's vision for his church, not just the place where you come once a week to hear a message, to hear words, but where, as Paul said, we love each other so much that we're delighted to share not only the gospel, but our lives as well because we've come, become so dear to each other. And we're not there yet. We have not necessarily shown genuine concern for the welfare of everyone in this church. We have not always lived lives worthy of imitation. But this is the vision that we'd be striving for, that everyone who walks through these doors would feel loved and cared for, know that they're not alone, know that as they have needs that we will care for them and meet those needs as we would for Jesus if he were in our midst, and that there be people whose lives are worthy of imitation, that we can look up to and ask questions of and, and learn from, and that 
when we feel like we are on solid footing in our faith, that we would invite others alongside us. There's a table out there where I put out something I had put together called a uh, mentoring guide. And this is something, if you want to take a copy, you're welcome to. I would try to put together a guide if there were two individuals who are like, well, what is this discipling thing and how do we disciple someone? I put together, I think it's like a nine-week kind of guide of like, you know, if you wanted to get together with someone and ask these questions and talk through and help people in their faith, um, that's one route. There's plenty of other routes out there, but that's something. And so if you're interested, you want to take it and learn more, you can grab that. It's out there, the New Life Mentoring Guide. It's complete with all kinds of questions you can ask, all kinds of books and resources you can use as well. But again, I hope you've understood God's vision. As we read First Thessalonians, that this is the vision that God has for his church. In this cultural moment, we have such an opportunity to provide a community where we're genuinely concerned for each other's welfares and where we provide models worthy of imitation. Let me pray, and then the worship team's going to lead us as we respond in worship. Lord, we do pray that you would help us to be a community of love. You said, this is how all men will know that we are your disciples, by our love for one another. So help us, Lord, to love each other as you have loved us. Our desire and your desire is that we would lose no one that you send our way, but that we would love and care for them and encourage and support them. Help us to live lives worthy of imitation as we follow you, Lord. Help us to disciple the way you told us to teach everyone, Lord, everything that you have obey, everything that you've commanded. May we be a church known for our love and our discipleship, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.